Welcome everyone to the weekly spotlight from Diversity Naps. I'm Kabir Seth. And I'm Amy Kraft. And we're so happy you guys could join us this week. It is freezing cold in New York. Um, we are not recording outside, but still it feels very <laughs> cold. Um, for those of you who are listening for the first time, Diversity Naps is a grassroots coalition made up of researchers, producers, parents, and educators. And our mission is to raise awareness and engage in research about the need for inclusive, equitable, and diverse children's media. So how do we do that? Well, every week we send out a weekly newsletter um, filled with articles from just the past week, maybe past two weeks, related to diversity in children's media. Um, And we pick a few of those articles. Amy and I talk about them on our podcast Um, how they might relate to the work that we're doing, how it relates to some of the guests that we've had on in the past and the guests that um, that we bring on. Um, So this week we have a great guest, Dr. Natasha Crandall. She's going to be talking about empathy. Um, And so with that, we want to sort of get started with the week in news. And Amy, you sent me this article about the Hollywood Reporter doing a, a panel on inclusion was it inclusion in animation? Um, animation Roundtable, Seth Rogen, and six more on avoiding ethnic stereotypes and how to break the mold of princesses. Avoiding ethnic stereotypes. Great. Yeah. With, and... let's count them, seven white guys. Seven white guys to talk about I think I avoiding... still have a mark from when I head desk so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Hollywood reporter, you're adorable. Right. <laughs> Just unbelievable. I, I mean, at least they had a woman asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> no people of color in the room um, to talk about ethnic stereotypes. Now, a lot of these people are ones that we've talked about recently. So there was um, Byron Howard from Zootopia, Garth Jennings, the director of Sing, Travis Knight, who directed Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, Mike Mitchell, who directed Trolls, John Musker from Moana, and Mark Osborne from The Little Prince. Now, we've talked about a lot of those movies. We haven't talked about Trolls, which, P.S., is awesome, and I loved it. Uh, (laughs) Like, I liked a lot of these movies, but, you know, like, we've talked about Travis Knight and sort of the whitewashing of Kubo. We talked about the research that John Musker and company did of Moana, um, you know, and sort of, like, giving them a little bit of credit for... Um, trying to do things in the right way as the white guys that they are. But when Hollywood Reporter brings these all together, you really start to see the full picture of (laughs) the animation world. And to top it all off, like having Seth Rogen there because he produced and starred in Sausage Party. Sausage Party is such a fine metaphor for what's happening. It, I was just like when I read the headline that I read the fusion article um the thing is like I agree with you like these movies are timely they dealt with these pieces in their um in the films but it was like they the fusion article makes the point that they were like females animators I believe that worked on Zootopia like why not have them up there mm-hmm. why not have the people who, you know, the, um, I think there were plenty of females that worked on Moana. Like, why not have them up there? Why not have, like, the actual consultants you spoke with up there? And then um, there was one more. Oh, 
Sanjay Patel, who was like nominated for an Academy Award. Sorry, I know I'm getting loud. Like the <laughs> levels on this thing are like so. it's worth getting loud for. Yeah, it was like he's been nominated for an Oscar. He's not some like forgotten guy. He works for Pixar. Like he's written books about like Hindus, about and and the entire short film that he did was about this. Like it was just mind boggling. Like it it wasn't a case where it was it felt like a case where when asked about it or pushed on it, which by the way, the Hollywood reporter has not replied to or commented on this, but like it would be a case where they would push back and be like, Well, we just couldn't find anyone. Like it's the same garbage you hear all the time. It was just I, I was so frustrated by this. Well, you- I encourage everyone to watch actually the video of yeah. the panel. It's it's actually an enjoyable panel, again, because I love a lot of these movies. Um, so it is fun to sort of hear the backstory. The Hollywood Reporter rightly calls this a fraternity. <laughs> so at least there's some semblance that they're a little bit self-aware about what's right. happening. What's interesting is so the Fusion article that's a reaction against this kind of is a little too extreme because they're like, and John Musker said he was forced to go specific. But what really, like, if you listen to that clip in the video, John Musker's like, oh, we were forced to go to Tahiti. You know, he was being sarcastic. sarcastic, What an awesome opportunity. So, like, (laughs) take take the Fusion reaction with a grain of salt. But honestly, the one moment in the video that got me that I think people have haven't been reacting to is kind of the introduction to all these directors like Garth Jennings from Sing saying like this is an amazing opportunity this was the first time I got to direct an animated film and for a couple of these guys it was their first time directing so what how amazing that all these white guys got these opportunities to direct um you know and then later they talk for a moment about like, hey, women and people of color, you should get in on this because it's a great way to tell your stories. And it's like, guys, you know, don't you hear what's happening? It's opportunity. Like you guys were all given the opportunity. Um, You know, like Travis Knight was an animator and he was kind of like came up through the ranks. Mm -hmm. Like why was he the one able to like come up through the ranks on this and not somebody else, you know? So I think... It's actually great that this roundtable happened to just say, like, Hollywood, you still have a giant problem. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, the other um, the other piece with um, that they were talking about in the Fusion article was like, again, this is like I think would make a fascinating story was the fact that um, I guess at Disney, women were not allowed to be part of I think the animation like the animator piece at all so like there was no way for them to move up because they weren't even allowed into that department and like again it may actually made me think of like Mad Men and sort of the story of Peggy and like what um what she wanted to do so um it was fascinating I think that this like you're saying that maybe they were a little bit self-aware but like it's just it's 2016 like are you kidding me Mm -hmm. like how do you not see that as soon as you sit down at the panel or like when you're putting it together? And like, this goes back to like the, the toolkit stuff of like, what does the team that's putting together the panel look like? And are they like, who is the one that's going to catch this and be like, you this, are you seeing what this panel looks like and what we're talking about? So it was, I know like it, like we can like be very jokey about it, but it's just like, you're saying like, the opportunity piece is sitting right there. All these people, first time directors. It's like, yeah, well, 
it's about opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was really the first time directors that got me. Right, right. It's like, yep, here we go. <laughs> this would have been a great opportunity to see like a really nice round table with all these great people who were given their first time. Yeah, yeah. Chances. Um, so on, on that note, I think we want to sort of switch to a very topical um, subject. Um, Plenty of people have been visiting the president-elect. He's camped out here in New York. And a congressman from New York actually stopped by um, yesterday. And after the meeting, he said that he proposed to uh, Mr. Trump a national counterterrorism strategy based on the surveillance efforts that were done here in New York City after 9-11. So this was a bit, um, you know, obviously this, this made some news. Um, the counterterrorism efforts, those surveillance efforts, um, were found to, um, by multiple judges, to be borderline illegal um, and, you know, just uh, unconstitutional. So it was surprised to to hear that. And this actually coordinates with the story that um, that was in Vox this week, and another story that we're going to be talking about um, on a blog post, but. The, the Vox piece was about a, uh, a young girl after 9-11 um, who grew up, she was a, a Jersey girl. I actually related to this story a lot because I, I grew up in a, in a small town in Michigan and like, you know, it, it talked about how she listened to Hot 97, which is the, the Jersey radio station. My wife listens to that uh, or grew up <laughs> listening to that in Jersey and she went, you know, she worked at the Jersey Shore and, and things like that. So after 9-11... Um, you know, her, she had many, many classmates sort of turn on her, her family's business was vandalized, et cetera. And, um, the summer after elementary school, um, my notes don't have, only have her last name. Sorry. What's her? Is it Amani al Yes. Yes. There it is. Um, she skipped the beach and taught herself HTML and she launched this website called Muslim Girl, which is a place, basically a website, she said, for other Muslim girls that were experiencing the same thing she was. And the site has grown now. She's done a partnership with uh, with Teen Vogue. I think she's um, expanding it, looking to, to create it into a television network. But this was just a, a fantastic story of someone who, you know, we, we talk about empathy and sort of she was almost creating a community for she was creating a community for these girls who were probably experiencing the same thing or um and they could come there and sort of share share their stories which i thought was was great yeah i mean we'll be talking about this in a little bit with natasha but sort of like online um and social media and giving people community yeah how and that can be a force for good so i love that she like started to skip going to the beach because her dad had one of the first internet cafes so she taught herself html instead of going to the beach and you know created this website i also love that she said some of the first posts were about girls getting their period you Mm -hmm. know the taboo topics and finding the connection and being a resource for one another it's really like an amazing way to combat what's happening in their daily lives and their local communities. Yeah. Just like, yes, there are other people out there. Right. Exactly. I think it was a way for them not to feel alone. And like that is so much of, you know, Natasha talks about it on, on social media, that ability to sort of empathize and sort of like hear that story and then be able to feel like you can do something about it or share it, respond to it, et cetera. So 
Um, yeah, I, I really, um, I enjoyed this piece. I actually went and looked up, um, what she was doing. There's a link to her, um, I think Forbes 30 under 30. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm glad you mentioned to the teen Vogue uh, yeah. connection because also teen Vogue has been in the news this week yeah. because they had some great political commentary right. about what's going on in the world. And everyone's like, teen vogue like and it's like do not underestimate girls you know what i mean it's really like the condescension with which um especially teen girls have to deal with and then teen girls of color muslim teen girls of being underestimated it's like mm -mm, no it's like these are really like thoughtful and amazing young women and they need to be given their credit and respect. Yeah. I was, I, when I saw that on Twitter, I was just like so impressed that like they were just so steely eyed and they were looking at it right in the face and they were writing the headline exactly how, exactly with what was happening. It was just, it was perfect. Um, I might just link to the story in the newsletter this week. Yeah, for sure. Like it's definitely worth a read. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, so, so going along with this sort of the um, the surveillance theme and sort of like I think throughout the campaign season there's sort of been discussions of how immigration is going to be resolved and sort of um, banning immigration from uh, Muslim countries, etc. And um, there's a piece this week um, on the Pragmatic Mom website called Japanese Internment Books for Kids and My Family Story. And it's by um, the author Mia Wenjen, and she basically goes through and tells the story of her family um, from World War II being forced to leave their home um, and sort of the, the history of that, that they lived through through, um, through World War II. And I actually, I, I know we talk about this all the time with like hidden figures and sort of like history that is never told or forgotten. Um, and I had, you know, um, the piece talks about here that rounding up Japanese Americans and packing them off to concentration camps was an orchestrated effort by local prominent businessmen to eliminate competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not aware of that. Did you? Also, did you... like, I forgot that this happened under Roosevelt. Yeah. You know, like we have like our beloved president and it's like, oh, and they do some awful things. Yeah, like, I was going to touch think, on that too. Like, the Yeah, Roosevelt one of the thing. things that like I've been really focused on now is knowing history yeah. better. Bringing it very much into my life. Like when I read books now, they're historical fiction or nonfiction. And I just have this insatiable appetite for history that I've never had before. Right. Um, and I love that, you know, so this post at Pragmatic Mom also comes with a book list for kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, letting kids know that this happened and what were the experiences for kids yeah. in internment camps and it, with their families. It's, it's so shocking yeah. that this is part of our nation's history. Although yeah. there's a As I was reading this, and I know I always say don't read the comments, but um, in, this, in this post, you're safe. You can read the comments. <laughs> um, one of the comments talks about Mexican repatriation. And... Um, I had no idea about Mexican repatriation. I had to Google it, look it up on Wikipedia. And I, like, again, this was something that clearly happened under Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was really surprising and shocking. I had, I had no idea. But again, like you're saying, you have to know history because it was a case where we were sort of trying to find a scapegoat for the Depression. And it was easy to blame the people that were considered not real Americans. 
And like, if you've heard that phrase before, like it's because it repeats itself. Like that's how these things work. And that's why it's so important to understand history and then to understand how that, like how people stood up and how people fought against it and how there was, how resistance happened. And I, I just, I found this whole, like you're saying, it's, it's like a way to, these books are written for kids. They're about kids. And, um, one of them was like there, they talk about this book called the bracelet. And I think the author even puts in there or the author of the piece puts in there that she couldn't even read it. It made her so sad. Like apparently this bracelet was given to the child as they were going to the relocation camp and the, the bracelet gets lost. And like, that's what the story is about. <laughs> Just sounded horrible, but, um, yeah. I, it, it's a great list. Also, if you don't know um, Dr. Seuss's full yeah. history as a, yeah. a cartoonist, you get to see some of his most racist work in right. this post, which, you know, it's it's rough, you know, like, you know, Dr. Seuss, Roosevelt, like, yeah. you know, these are, you know, you have such favorable views of these people and it's right. like, oh. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. I mean, just one more thing I wanted to mention on this piece, and obviously we'll link to it. It'll be in the newsletter, um, is it said in there, like her, her family. So her family was asked to go to the relocation camps. There's a, there isn't a lot of detail, but it sounds like they didn't go to the camp. They moved to Utah and sort of set mm-hmm. up um, a farm there or worked with their, the family that they had there. And then it says that her uncle joined the army. Like her uncle was like, being relocated was a Japanese American was basically being treated as worse than a second class citizen. And he joined the army, like Mm -hmm. in spite of what was his government was trying to do to him. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, yeah, there've been so many people in our nation's history that have like fought for the military without having full rights as citizens. It's amazing. Yeah. (sighs) Um, (laughs) It's it's a great piece, and honestly, like read the comments. The pragmatic mom, um, she replies to every single one, and like every single piece has a different, like a a different thing. And she talks about her parents, and like it's obviously her mom's response to this has just been incredible. And you know, there's there doesn't seem to be a, a level of bitterness. She loves the country, mm-hmm. and like um, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there. So definitely check it out. Um, yeah, it, on her about page, she said, "My blog is born from lemons squeezed painfully into lemonade." <laughs> yeah, well put. That's um, yeah. But so, on a lighter note, yes, um, my six-year-old and I just watched the new Amazon special about the snowy day. Yay. So we've talked about this book, and now it's an animated special for right. holidays. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, let me watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I have to say like what they got right about the book is like the animation is so spot on and they actually weave in both through narration and animation, all the key moments of this book that I love so much. So like the snow plopping Peter on the head and him, you know, smacking the snow covered tree with a stick. And then they weave in this whole urban neighborhood. Um, so like Peter goes out and you kind of understand the context of the giant snow piles that are in the book within his city landscape. It's like snow plows come through and, 
And I love even sort of there's a moment of excitement about listening for the snow plows. And it's like, oh, that is such like a my city experience. Yeah. Of like snow plows coming through, like watch it make the giant hills over the cars and <laughs> things like that. It's just it's really lovely. Um, but they've obviously it's worth mentioning that Kevin Clark, who's one of the members of Diversity and Apps, is a consultant on this special. Yeah. Um, so unsurprisingly, it's, you know, wonderfully diverse, both in terms of um, gender and ethnicity, but also religion. Like there is mention of Hanukkah. So it's not just a oh, Christmas really? special. It's that it's like um, when you live among diverse neighbors, they're all coming together with different traditions. And I also um, one of the things that's really great about it is the whole day is set up like Nana's bringing over her mac and cheese. Wouldn't be Christmas without Nana's mac and cheese. It's talking about like this family's particular tradition, Um, you know, and it being a Christmas special or a holiday special. Like, I I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say something happens to the mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Because the whole day is set up for Nana's mac and cheese. But the lesson we learn is like, you know, they end up having what looks like the most delicious potluck ever because of all the like awesome neighbors. Um, So it's just, it's very sweet. Um, How how long is it? It's, I think like 38 minutes. I was just to be specific. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, somewhere between like the half hour, hour. I watch it with my little guy this weekend. He'll, He'll probably love it. Yeah. We read the book now and I can tell that, you know, because he's gone through one winter and he remembers sort of trudging through the snow and the sledding and, and things like that. So I, And throwing a snowball. So, mm-hmm. like, I think he picks up on it. Like, I can sense that he sort of, like, is imagining it and seeing it and remembering what that was like. Um, so I think watching this will be... Um, will be great i at least at the very least i'm gonna watch it so yeah totally it does do one thing that drives me crazy but it's a battle i lose all the time in children's media which maybe it's a battle i should be losing (laughs) (laughs) um it's that we we firmly establish that peter is supervised so it's that thing of you know one of the things that's wonderful about the book it's just like it's his yeah independent kid driven play right but the show is just like okay peter i'm watching from the window <laughs> so That's it's funny. like I, I ask all parents it's like do we need that as parents or are we doing it too much you know it's like but every time i have this conversation about anything i work on i lose the, the battle so we can argue that I deserve to. If only effect. you were working on Mad Men, Amy. Like, or they just ignored the kids in the fifties, right? Oh my God! How much do you love those Mad Men scenes? I know when they're playing with the the laundry, like the oh, with the dry cleaning with bag. the dry cleaning bag. It's just like so funny. And then she goes and mixes the drinks. Okay, a little off topic. I know. Uh, okay, but I really do care about kids and that they, you know, are treated well. <laughs> yeah. this point of like oh my god we're so protective of kids right. like you know, i worry about stifling independent play is where that comes from yeah yeah other than that it's a really lovely special <laughs> yeah um i look forward to uh to watching it um all right so that sort of wraps it up for um for the newsy stuff we had lighthearted, we had heavy-hearted we had um a great piece on on amazon.com and coming up we have a great interview with Dr. Natasha Crandall. We cover a lot of stuff from 
empathy and a little touch about how kids think and talk about that. So um, stay tuned for that. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Natasha Crandall, who is a psychologist and educator who's worked on a ton of shows that you know, um, including Bob the Builder and Naughty. One of my very favorites is The Octonauts. I love Octonauts so much. And lots of shows for Nickelodeon, like Backyardigans and Bubble Guppies. So Natasha, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. We're happy to have you. Yes. So your role as an educational consultant on a show, what does that mean for people who might not know that role? Well, that's a good question because I do get that sometimes. So, oh, you're an educator. What are you doing on this show? Um, Educators work on TV shows? (laughs) What do you mean you're a psychologist on this TV show? We clearly don't need you. (laughs) Sometimes what we get. Um, So my role as an educator is uh, to ensure that the show is appropriate for young children, and in particular preschool-age children. And while I personally think many shows could really use me, Um, It's really only the preschool world that, especially in the U.S., the preschool world in the U.S., that really tries to ensure that their shows are educational. And how do they make sure that they're educational? Well, they get a consultant or an expert to say, yes, they are. And that's me. And then they could put in the the credits saying, yes, it's educational and we worked hard on it. So um, that comes in a variety of different ways. So at one point it was, we want to make sure it's educational. So Companies like Nickelodeon would say, we want you to read outlines and drafts of every script and participate in writer's workshops and research it at least two times each episode. And then then we'll know that it's really educational, which is absolutely a great way to go. Unfortunately, times change and um, things change. And now with the push to get more shows out quicker, it's kind of cut back on the research realm of that. So while most of my job is now just reading scripts to ensure that they're educational, um, I don't do as much research as I used to. But basically, it's it's um, ensuring that what the show is intending to teach teaches it. So shows like um, uh, Bubble Guppies, for example, we taught a number of different things. We wanted to teach math and literacy and science at times and um, arts. Mm-hmm. All in one episode. And then we realized that was a little difficult. So we tried to hit two or three in each episode, which we did. So I would look at, let's say, the literacy component and say, okay, how are we teaching this component? Are we really teaching the sound of the T sound? Or is it really not coming through to kids? Um, so then I would look through each script and ensure that it's taught in the right way. Um, so and is, then there, I get, is there some like user testing that goes along with it? Like, are you... Are you putting like a, I don't know what to call it, like a draft version of the show in front of a group of kids to see? Yep. Okay. Yep, definitely. I mean, that that's definitely done. It was done for every Bubble Guppies episode. Um, and that's when I would take a draft of the script, break it into pieces, then have the artist draw a picture to, to match each piece of script that I broke it into and essentially make a storybook out of the script. And then I would take it out to kids in a focus group, to preschools, show them in small groups, watch what they did while I read them the story, and then I would interview them individually to find out what they thought of it and to kind of test them on the things that I thought we were teaching them. Right. And then there I would we would refine it, stuff that they just didn't get or just didn't like. 
we would change. So while my job is definitely part of the education, it's also appeal is a huge part of it. Because if your kid doesn't like the show, they're not going to learn anything because they're yeah. not going to watch it. Yeah. So we had to make them entertaining as well as educational. Um, and I think a lot of times some producers say, you know, we need you, but we don't want you to kill the funny. And I completely agree. You kill the funny, they just swipe now. They just It's gone. The show's gone. Yeah. You have to maintain the funny while adding the educational. So you- yeah, it's interesting. I've been on like the writer end of working with an educator and, you know, thinking about like how to weave that in without exactly, as you're saying, killing the funny. And, you know, I, I also think educators get a bad rap for that. It's like generally they're people who are great with kids and understand what kids like. But still, like everyone here is educator. It's like it weighs it down. <laughs> oh, they're going to kill no, the I was in a I was at a conference at Kids Screen, and um, there was a bunch of writers on a panel, and the moderator was asking and asked about the educator, and all of them groaned. Ah. Oh, my God. This is fascinating for me, because me, as the educator, I'm like, I kind of got the sense that people didn't love people like me, but to actually hear it from their voices, not knowing that I was sitting there, and I wasn't their educator, I wanted to get as much from them as to why do you hate us? What am I doing wrong? How can I make you love to have me? Right. And I got some really good feedback that they didn't mean to give me. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely, you're not, a, the the definite thing I got was they are the writer. I'm not the writer. And they know the funny and the story structure, which I don't know. So from that, I gained a clearer understanding of I'm going to make suggestions as how I think it could be without trying to tell them what to say because I'm not the writer and I recognize that. So now I make suggestions like we might not be able to kill the funny if we'd say this instead of that, or, you know, this is really funny. Kids won't get it, but you're not going to lose them because it's so quick. So Mm -hmm. I'll point those out too. Like they're not going to get this, but I think it's great. So if someone enjoys it, fine, keep it. Right. Right. Exactly. Do you think that ties into like why a lot of the older kids shows aren't using educators and psychologists to, or is it that we just don't have as many educational shows in that age group? Well, um, it's basically because I think it was in the nineties is when, um, NBC and CBS and ABC were the big Saturday morning cartoons Mm -hmm. and, uh, they decided to start buying some of Nickelodeon's properties to put on air, if I'm getting this story correct, but I think I am. Um, and so, but ABC, NBC, and CBS had this contract or something that said they had to have, I think it was like 80 or 90% of the shows that they aired on Saturday mornings had to be educational. Mm. So when that happened, Nickelodeon said, well, we want to sell everything to you guys. And none of it's actually educational, but if we made it educational, then you would buy it. So then they started saying, okay, how can we get some people on here to say that this is educational? It is teaching letters or it is about music or whatever, and that is educational. How can we get someone to say that it is? Then they started bringing in consultants like me to say that it is, and then they had an easier time selling it. But that was also, I mean, that's part of it. But the other part is, you know, Sesame has been around forever. And they were the ones who really started the educational aspect of looking at TV shows. And a lot of the Nickelodeon people came from Sesame at that time. Mm -hmm. So they understood the role of the educator in creating these great quality shows. 
So I think it was a, a mix of the times. And now it's just the way things are in preschool. They want educators on it. They And parents want it as well. That's also the audience. The audience wants to feel like if I'm putting my kid in front of the TV, there is something they're getting from it that's worthwhile. Yeah, I was going to ask about like parent feedback to that because like screen time is so demonized right uh -huh. now um, that it's like, okay, look, it's like broccoli. You can watch bubble guppies and like feel good about exactly. putting that kid in front of the screen. Yeah, exactly. And also, parents like at that age, preschool age, are probably might be watching it with their kid. So yeah. like there's another gatekeeper there of, yeah. and they're going to like the, the 10 or 11 year old isn't going to like demand the educational value of, of the product they're watching. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. As an parent like sitting there watching it with them. So, you know, that's a good point too. Like, and also like parents sort of like fall out of the choice and right. gatekeeping as we hit like what, eight or nine, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking, speaking from my own experience, <laughs> like, I don't care, whatever now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, I mean, it's also changing, too, because there was a time when parents, I mean, the mom would be there or the dad would be there and turn the TV on and they would be listening to everything going on. Right. Now with the iPad and the iPhones and different devices, the parents don't really have to sit there and listen to it the way they used to. Mm -hmm. And while co-viewing co is actually a much better, safer and more educationally a sounder way to watch TV with your kids and to have kids learn from them because they can turn to the parent and ask things that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it as much as they used to because of devices. Um, right. So that makes parents even more like, well, I, I just have to choose a good show. So what do I deem as a good show? And um, I know that Nickelodeon did this huge research recently and I haven't seen the results yet, but from my experience with parents, what they deem as a good show is what the brand is. So PBS has a brand that's very strong educationally. Mm -hmm. And you know, and PBS is very smart about that. They, they name their shows things that are in your face obvious. Sid the Science Kid is about science. Nature Cat is about nature. Peg Plus Cat, it's not Peg and Cat like it was way back when. Peg Plus Cat is about math. It's very obvious what it I, is. I never thought about that. You're right. <laughs> They purposely do that because they want parents to know just by hearing the name of the show that it is educational. And PBS has that very safe brand to it. Sprout's another one, although Sprout's changing a little bit, but Sprout was the other one that was young TV. And Sprout was a safe place for parents to go. They didn't have to vet anything. They didn't have to look it up. You just knew that if you went to Sprout or PBS, those were educational and very safe, safe, safe. Nickelodeon, because of its brand was always kind of like, you know, throw ketchup in your face kind of brand, although they've moved away from that. And they have Nickelodeon as well as Nick Jr. And they worked hard to make Nick Jr. a, a preschool safe brand. And I think it was it was a while ago, maybe five to seven years ago, they were calling it. Um, uh, it's there was something they would say in between each of the shows. It's like, oh, they'd say it's like preschool for your kids. Mm -hmm. So they were branding it as preschool. It's like preschool for your kids. Trying right. to tell parents, this is safe. It's preschool. You're going to learn something. Right. It totally replaces preschool. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's what they said. And they would actually even say, 
this show teaches about this and this and this and this. And sometimes I'm like, I worked on that show. That was not what we taught. Right. <laughs> that wasn't always what we taught. But, you know, it, there was an aspect of it. And so they would actually say, it's this show teaches about blah, 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 blah. It's like preschool for your kids. Right there in between each episode to really brand it as being safe. Yeah, cool. and I don't know how much parents go to it, but like I, you know, just for work, I've ended up on a lot of show websites looking at the curriculum of a show. So I don't know, like the websites mm-hmm. feature, like here's the curriculum, even sometimes a breakdown episode by episode. This is the STEM idea we're talking about here and things like that. Right, right. Deep. Yeah, I don't, I, I know that they do that. And I know that the UK Nickelodeon also has this whole grown up section where they have extensions of teaching um, from an episode. For example, there was a, a Lily's Driftwood Bay, which I worked on for 16 South Productions, and they had an episode about death. And one of the characters, not a main character, it's just a, it's a, a bird you've never seen before, but they basically come up on the beach and find this bird has died. And they, you know, essentially are very sad and talk about it, and then they make a little box for them and send them out to sea. And... Um, it was an incredibly moving episode because Lily and her father are, are the only two um, human characters. There's no mother there. And there's never really been a discussion about where's mom. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. kind of understood that she's not in the picture. And at the end of that episode, you see a framed picture of the mom for the first time. Kind of hints that she's passed away. Right. never addressed. Oh. <laughs> so Nickelodeon UK said, you know, this is a very powerful episode and we need to uh, almost warn parents, but then also give them something to do with this information. Right. And, uh, you know, I love this episode from the conception of it. I, I love the idea of it. I mean, you know, everyone still remembers Mr. Hooper and he, when he died and what Sesame did. Um but I feel like death is a natural part of life, and it is everywhere. And it is probably the one thing that every single person has in common. We've all lost someone. Even if you've never met that person, there's someone in your life that's not in there anymore. Mm-hmm. A grandparent that you've never met, yet you still call them a grandparent. They're still a member of your family. It's the one thing that binds us all, yet it's the one thing no one ever wants to talk about. And yeah. for young kids, obviously, this is a really scary thing. So um, Nickelodeon UK asked me to write up a blog of like some kind of information about what to do with this episode. How do you handle this episode? So I kind of went through and talked about, you know, death and dying and how to address it with a kid. And after watching this episode, things you could talk about and things that were pointed out in the episode that they may or may not have caught. And if they did, what you can do with that kind of thing. So I think, you know, for certain networks, they recognize the parent hand in it and will work towards making parents happier and feeling safer. So that's, that's the kind of thing that's great to know about for like when you lose someone or yeah. like I remember when a, my cat died when my daughter was four and my neighbor just ran down the street um, with Mr. Rogers when a pet dies book. <laughs> <laughs> and it is just like having having the kids media there to kind of like walk kids through. This is what happens. It's such a great tool for parents. Right. It is. I kind of want to go watch that episode now. It's a great episode. (laughs) It's a, it's a tearjerker. I mean, but there's, but I feel like now in media, and and that's not the only show that I worked on. There's a show called Bing Bunny 
not airing in the U.S. yet, um, but it's in the U.K. And there was a death episode in that one where Bing, the um, who's the bunny, he's the main character. Uh, there's a butterfly in his classroom and he goes to catch it and kills it, <laughs> accidentally squashes it. And it was, <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, if you talk to the writers and the producers, they will talk about how they went round and round and round and round about this. And I had my two cents here and two cents there. And um, what turned out was a beautiful episode. You know, they ended up burying the the butterfly in the back and then they all drew pictures for the butterfly. And it was just such a beautiful episode. And that's just another example of like death is everywhere. And we don't need to be so fearful of addressing it in kids media because it's a great medium to, to start a conversation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my son like recently has been talking a lot about it. Like somehow it's on his mind, um, and I don't know what triggered it. Um, but it's good. We might go look up some of this stuff now. <laughs> to like, you know, we we had conversations as he was dreading death. You know, I'm like, oh, it's okay, baby. <laughs> Do your yeah. things. Don't think about it. Well, but, I mean, but, I remember the same conversations with my daughter when she was three. I don't even know where she got the idea of death there. I, there was nothing that happened. We didn't lose a pet or anything, but you know, she had learned about it and was obsessed with it and was asking every day what was going to happen when she died or when I died and she didn't want me to die and she didn't want her to die. And she wanted me to with me forever. And it was like a daily in the car on the way to school and on the way back, we would have the death conversation. And, and it was something that I think, most kids go through at some point or the other. They don't understand it. And it's hard to understand. We barely understand it. Right. Right. We understand it. Absolutely. So I think it's great that like um, people in media don't shy away from the tough yeah. topics because it's on kids' minds. Yeah. And this is why you need your psychologist. <laughs> exactly. Thank goodness. I proved um, it to you. <laughs> One thing we talk a lot about on the show is empathy. And Natasha, when you and I saw each other recently at a party, it was like, it was me sidling up because I heard empathy coming out of your mouth. It's like, (laughs) what's this conversation? Um, But you were talking about how to do empathy well in children's media. And I think that that's something that we keep coming at from different examples of it, but would love to hear your take on empathy, especially in television. Absolutely. I mean, I think empathy is the hot word. It's the hot button word today. Um, I mean, it, when, when, when people approach me with it now, it's, it seems to be a political thing because everyone's like, we need kindness, kindness, kindness. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I always say, okay, kindness is, absolutely wonderful and it's essential but kindness comes from a feeling that we call empathy you know thinking caring about others brings on kind acts if you think about those random acts of kindness that is all over today Mm -hmm. it's because you actually care about someone in some way or want to do something nice for someone and that comes from a feeling you have and that's empathy just caring for others when you read those facebook stories about um, you know, someone did something beautiful for someone, whether it was write a letter about how nice their kid was or whatever it was, you mm-hmm. feel this good feeling. So empathy is a little different from sympathy. So sympathy is like, oh, I feel kind of bad for that person. But empathy is like you really feel in their in their shoes, like, oh, that situation is just horrible or awful or incredibly sad. I mean, your cat died. Oh my God. I know that feeling. That's empathy, but Oh, your cat died. Oh, that's a shame, but it's a cat. That's sympathy. 
<laughs> so the empathy is what kind of breeds the kindness acts, like really feeling. So I worked on a show um, for uh, hit entertainment called The Welly Wishers, and it's now airing on Amazon Prime. And it's it's an American Girl property. So they have come out with a new line of toys, of course, but they also have this great show that features these five girls and their best friends and they they play in a garden every day after school and it's kind of like it feels like a secret garden kind of feel to it um, because they're surrounded by the garden and nature and everything it has to offer and there's five girls with five very different personalities because you have to have one that's kind of girly you have to have one that's kind of a fix it you have to kind of one that's dramatic etc etc so they have very distinct personalities yet they're best friends but as we know especially I mean, as you know, with girls in particular, you have five friends, there's going to be fights. But for a TV show, you need a little disagreement as well to make it interesting. So the one Also, thing- if you have five girls together, <laughs> there might be going to be a little, you know, fighting here <laughs> there, at least in my world. <laughs> so the writers really wrote very true to themselves, which was fantastic. The problem was, is that we have to make sure that what we're doing with kids is that we're modeling the right way to do things. So for example, it's a show that focuses on empathy. We focus actually on a lot of positive core characteristics, but empathy was the one that we had to have in every single episode. So in that episode, um, in every episode, we the girls would come with some disagreement or something. And it would, sometimes would be two against three or one against four, etc. But the one thing I always had to make sure is that there were not accidentally modeling mean girl behavior. So mean group, group, mean girl group behavior in particular. So we can't ever have a group of four walk away from one. Even if that one was being a total maniac, we can't have that one be walked away from. Like be shunned from the group. Exactly. That's shunned from the group. And that's not empathetic. So I can't say that we're teaching empathy if we have girls walking away in groups and leaving one standing there regardless of what she said or did. I mean, if a if a person is saying something completely wrong and offhanded, you wouldn't take your friends and walk away. You would try to speak to them and say, why are you thinking that? Or why are you saying that? I think you misunderstood. This is what's really going on. How about if we do this? But you could have that one walk away from the group because she's so angry. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way I was trying to promote empathy, even in the nonverbal let alone the verbal. I mean, we definitely have verbal empathy, but even in the nonverbal, you have to show empathy in a certain way. Hmm. That's really interesting because, yeah, you have a physical presence and how you react to each other. Do you talk a lot about, like, body language in this show? Um, you know, it was an, it's an animated show, so I didn't get to look at any of the animation, but the stage direction is always in the scripts. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the walking away or the right. you know, folding their arms yeah. or turning their back to one another. That would, was always written in. Um, and I was very keen on making sure that when it was done, it was done in a way that wasn't teaching girls how, how to alienate other girls. Um, that's, a, that's a lot to cover in 11 minutes. That's a... And that's why you need a psychologist. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it is a lot to cover. I mean, and, and but the thing is that when you watch the show, you would maybe watch the show and go, so what What was the big deal about this show? But 
honestly, my notes in this show were very specific. And luckily for me, Hit Entertainment Entertainment was so open to it. And so, yes, we want to get it right. An American girl has to get it right. Their brand requires it's right. Mm -hmm. So they were very open to this feedback and saying it has to be this way or cannot be that way. How, why do you think, um, you mentioned empathy sort of become the hot word or sort of the hot topic that shows are focusing on. What do you think has brought that about and has it been sort of over the past two years, five years? Like how, um, how have you seen that grow? You know, I, I, my own gut says that social media has a big part of that. Because it's been the past five years where social media is the random acts of kindness and, you know, giving forward and thinking of others. And you see all these beautiful stories and people are touched by them. And I think people have picked up on that. I think um, an American girl is very on to what what they need to do to teach young children how to be better people. If you watch all of the movies that they've had, it's about a girl learning about herself and standing up to adversity and standing up for herself. It's very girl power driven Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. kindness towards others is part of that. So that was, I think really the welly wishers, um, what brought that on, but I've been seeing it a lot of places in media and I think it has to do with social media. And then the recent political climate is, um, I think having a huge impact on people saying we need to be kinder to one another. We need to think about each other. We need to have empathy for people we don't know and don't understand. Yeah, I would actually say that social. I, I think you're right. The social media has sort of fed a uh, a random acts of kindness and sort of a viral piece of um, you know look at the story or sort of um, what's going on overseas. But it's also I think the other extreme of sort of trolls and bullying and sort of mm-hmm. that has almost pushed the empathy like in response to the other extreme of, of that empathy has become um, sort of the, the superpower to fight, um, to fight that. So that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, I feel like we have these conversations every two weeks, Amy, with with people and social media just like is always at the root cause. Totally. um, (laughs) It's like, what is social media doing to us? It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's both like, I can't, give it up because of the bad because of the good yeah you know yeah. what I mean it's like it's it's such a two-sided coin yeah it like reminds me of like that like when you were talking to Tasha and you were saying that it's sort of social media has fed this I was thinking about the ice bucket challenge and sort of like mm. how that like you know like I did the ice bucket challenge and and it did it raised a ton of of a money ton. And it was sort of this piece of you got educated about this disease and sort of like the need to raise money for it and um, you know, that can be such a power, exactly what you're saying. I mean, there's so many. And how many kids did the ice bucket challenge? Right. Like tons. How I mean, many kids learned what Lou Gehrig's disease was or yeah. ALS? They'd yeah. never heard of it before. Right. They probably still don't know exactly what it is, but it educated them to there's this debilitating disease right. that has no cure and we need to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's awesome. It's worth that. I'm just looking at the picture of Welly Wishers, like, and you mentioned all their different personalities. And for this podcast, it's worth mentioning. They're just so, like, wonderfully diverse in ethnicity, yeah. too. Like, really yeah. cute. Yeah. Uh, 
So that's always good to see too. Like it's, you know, especially from American girl, we talk about American girl a lot. Like, you know, I think people are pushing them to be increasingly diverse. Um, and I think that they're listening, which is great. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and certainly in their specials too, like the special with like the girl growing up in the sixties, um, Mm -hmm. can't remember offhand what it's called. Melody maybe. Um, yeah. So like that's also on Amazon, um, and worth checking out. So like they're doing good work. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I listened to the, to the YouTube song, the, the, one of the links had a, a like a promo video. I really like the music. I was like, this is good song that they play at the yeah. beginning. <laughs> Very good. Um, Natasha, you had also mentioned to us, um, an offshoot of Sesame, uh, Sesame tree as like being yeah. another empathetic one. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about, if I, if, if I look back at all the shows that I've worked on, empathy was at least in one episode of almost all of them. I mean, anytime you have a disagreement between two characters, they have to come around in the end and understand each other. And that comes through empathy. So I would say almost every kid's show has it in there somewhere. Anytime there's a disagreement that they resolve. Um, but Sesame Tree was another big one that was really about empathy, although we called it something different because empathy wasn't the hot button word of the day. It was, um, and Sesame Tree is a, an international Sesame show um, that takes place in Northern Ireland. And the same creators from Driftwood, Lily's Driftwood Bay that had the death episode, they were the ones who uh, created Sesame Tree with Sesame Workshop. So my role when I was at Sesame was to be their education, research and outreach person in the U.S. to kind of guide them on the way Sesame did things. And the curriculum that was written for that show was uh, one that focused on mutual respect and understanding. And if you just think of what that means, it's really understanding another person's point of view and accepting it and respecting it. And that's empathy, really. Mm -hmm. Different way to think about it. But you know, Northern Ireland. So in all the Sesame shows and all of the international Sesame shows, it's basically trying to make Sesame Street, but make it in a way that's very organic and true to that area. So while Sesame Street is, you know, in in the city in the U.S. and uh, has different characters in the U.S. and has a huge bird, different places, different countries have different Sesame. So, you know, let's say in Africa, there is no huge bird. There is no bird, but they had a huge meerkat instead. So that awesome. Sesame <laughs> show has a huge meerkat, huge, because meerkats are very common. In Northern Ireland, rabbits or hares are very common. So one of the main characters is a hare. And then there's a monster named Pato. Um, and then for the second season, there was a red squirrel named um, Archie. Archie? Arthur. Oh, my goodness. I can't remember. Archie or Arthur. It begins with an A. Um so in that show, we the curriculum focuses on what's important in the areas as well. And in Northern Ireland, the Protestant and Catholic fighting and respecting one another has been a problem for ages and is still a problem. And it's something that they decided, the, the producers there and the producers in the U.S. decided that it would be really great to teach kids, young children, to respect one another's points of view, regardless of what religion they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and what beliefs they had. So a mutual respect and understanding was a huge push for that show. And in every episode, there was something that happened that the other person had to understand that point of view. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating. 
Well, hopefully after listening to this, people like go seek out their friendly neighborhood psychologist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And where can people find you online? Um, I have a website. uh, It's it's crandallconsulting.org. Because .com was taken. And if you send it to .com, I Seriously? will never get it. <laughs> and I've tried to write to that guy and ask for it, and he won't give it up. Um, so it's crandallconsulting.org. Nice. And, and anywhere on are, social media. Are you on uh, social media, on Twitter? I, I am on social media. I'm on Twitter, and, of course, Crandall Consulting is too long, so it's Crandall Consult. <laughs> and um, I have a Facebook page as well for Crandall Consulting and LinkedIn as well. You can find me there. And you're practicing empathy on all your social media. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks yeah, so thank much you. for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks a lot.